Mac Football Pod. Yeah, that's loud. Wow. I'm not, I don't care. I'm keeping it up. Yeah, actually, you know what? Let's make it louder. Mac Football Pod, because we have music now. Royalty free music. Justin, don't you love royalty free music? I absolutely love it. I don't even mind that I can hardly hear you. That's good. That's good. You knew what I was saying. You felt it. You felt it through the music. That's right. We're through week one, and we decided to throw some music on this thing. Uh, music because we love Caleb. Caleb loves music. Um, Caleb's not here, though. It's just me and Justin. Apologies for the lack of Caleb. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because we still had week one of football. Uh, I went and saw Eastern open up the season on the Grave Field. Justin, you watched your Broncos play evil Kent State. St. Francis from the FCS ranks. Um, Halo Kent State got actually blown out in Orlando. whole bunch of stuff happened in week one. But if there is a big, big takeaway, it's that the Mac is fine. The Mac is, you know, record-wise, it wasn't great. Didn't have, like, a ton of upsets. You know, yes, NIU did capture the first P5 upset from the Mac over you know Boston College, which is like P five Temple, but you know the Mac looked respectable, even though that it didn't collect all the wins that it might have wanted to. But Justin, what's your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway is that Toledo is pretty damn good, but they're still kind of Toledo. Like they kind of just did all the same things Toledo always does. They've practically won a game on paper, and then they threw a pick six and ignited a rally. Um, but I, I have the same thoughts as you is that like, I'm not ready to declare the Mac, you know, better than we thought that it might be, but a pretty good showing like Akron had a higher post game win expectancy for what it's worth, you know, it sucks that they didn't finish the job, didn't score a point in the second half, but like kudos to them. Um, mentioned Toledo, you get a power five win in the mix. Uh, Buffalo played a good first half. Central Michigan played a good three quarters, right? Like, WMU's offense looked okay. I mean, there's a lot of questions were answered, I think. Um, and there's a ton of improvement from week one to week two. So I'm excited to see uh, what happens next, I guess. Toledo did really choke it away, though. Like, I, they I, I sure think, did. Should we just start there? Because I think that was, like, the biggest game going into it. And, I, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to give it to you. Do we want to start with Toledo? and kind of focus on that because of like how much attention we wanted to give it anyways or do we want to like actually provide flowers where they're given which i mean niu in this case because we got to give it some respect for beating a p5 team i don't care if it's boston college even though i, I kind of do where do uh, you want to start i mean we could do a little bit both but i, I want to i do want to start with toledo because i think that like I mean, this is going to sound shitty, but like it was the more impressive night, I think, you know, despite getting the P5 win from NIU, because I think just like to touch on the Huskies for a second, that if like if you didn't think that was going to happen or could happen, like you just haven't been paying attention. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Like Rocky Lombardi was coming back. It's very clear that when he plays, it's a very different team, not necessarily a great team, but it's a team that wins. And I don't think anybody cares whether it's great or just good. Um, they look to be just good, and that's fine. Like, awesome. Um, they're kind of a victim of their own success there. We, they do it all the time. But 
Toledo also does this all the time too. I, I think this is a pretty like impressive Illinois team, or at least figured to be. Um, I think like just looking at basically the last play of the game, um, Luke Altmaier makes a play with a Toledo defender, uh, Terrence Taylor, like very nearly getting his fourth tackle for loss for the night, like just in his grill. I don't know how he makes this play on fourth and I think it was four. Like the onions to dial up that play to throw deep like that with the pressure in their face, like sticks a spin move on the left tackle for I think the second straight play almost makes a game winning play, but great offense beats great defense. And that's basically the game. But then like it's just Toledo was in control of that game for large spells. And then they throw a pick six to let Illinois back in. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's how that happens. Every year. That Luke Altmaier kid played a hell of a game. Like I I, I didn't you know, Illinois did play down first and like things kind of got out of hand for a little bit. Uh, but it just like seemed like at that point, just slapped himself in the face and he's like, you know what? Leroy Jenkins. That's what that's what somebody once said, and I'm gonna say it too. Leroy Jenkins. And that's what he did. He did that all the way to the finish. And I, I really have to give him, you know, some credit for the way that, that he played against Toledo. He did a lot of damage on the ground for sure. Uh nine carries, sixty nine yards, seven and a half average. Um like he just made plays, man. Like, I don't know. It's just such a gutsy performance. Like, I don't think he, he played particularly great or anything like that, but like, God damn, did that kid make throws at the yeah. end. I, the, the Big Ten Network broadcast was, I think, like a little bit annoying in like their gushing praise for him. Sure. Um, but it paid he off play, in the he end. He played because... really well, though. Like, I, I loved, like, but that's what you love out of him. Like, you know, it's not like Rocky Lombardi and we'll get to him again. I mean, I love, I love just like mentioning NIU and not actually talking about them. Like, Rocky Lombardi <laughs> doesn't like compile all the stats in the world. Uh, but he does kick a lot of ass. And, like, Luke Altmaier did kick an amount of ass. He did. And so, like, from the Toledo point of view, you should, you know, it, it sucks that they let that one get away, but they should feel pretty good about it. I don't think that, like, I don't want to, like, fall in the trap of saying, like, okay, well, now we can flush, like, the super special season down, right? Like, I don't want to say this can't be a New Year's Six team or anything like that. Right, you can take a week one loss to a Big Ten team and run the table. Mm, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, but like, I don't know about the New York Six thing though. It's a different. I mean, like we live in a it's a, it's a different college football world than it was like six seven years ago, right? Like it's going to be very difficult even for an undefeated MAC team to make the New York Six without winning a game like this. Um, so I'm not saying it can't happen if the pieces don't fall around, but there's just a lot of good G five teams at the top. Like, maybe it'll be a little refreshing that we don't have to pretend like it could happen. But, you know, I I, I don't want to, uh, you know, pres- prescribe more to this game than is needed to, other than that they just played a damn good game. And I'm just going to bring up Terrence Taylor again. Like, wow, he's a menace. Mm-hmm. He's a menace. Yeah, he's and a so menace. I think we talked last week about, and like many weeks, uh, Toledo's replacing two all-conference players in the front seven or three all-conference players in the front seven kind of look like they might have replacement for a couple of them so they might be okay and i think that's a scary thought for the rest of the conference uh 
I feel like Junior Vandross got a lot of attention in this game too. Um, I'm reading here uh, he catches on 14 targets, 92 yards, a couple of fumbles, but like didn't lose any. Man, like big performance out of him too. Um, yeah, I mean Toledo just skilled position. And you know what? One of the cre- one of the things that I didn't, um, I wasn't totally sure, and like I wasn't very optimistic of like in Toledo heading into the game. I wasn't didn't think that they were going to handle Illinois well in the trenches. I thought they played a really really well in all four quarters in the trenches. So and yeah. I, so Toledo. Yeah, you you definitely did it. You definitely did it. Like their offensive line was fantastic. The way they were run block, like they didn't. I just like want to be very clear here that like the takeaway is that like I don't think the better team won that game at all. I think Toledo, I think, was the better team. Not like far and away, but like Toledo played. I think the better game, start to finish, and they were inches from pulling it out. I'm just trying to read through like some some stats uh, that are on game on paper. Uh, Toledo had a success rate of 43% as opposed to Illinois' 51%. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Expl- explosive play rate, both teams ran them at 5%. Third down success rate, 48% in Toledo's favor, 31 for Illinois' offense. Um, red zone could do a lot better there, of course. Um, 38%, 50% for Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I mean Toledo. It's it's gonna be a long season. It's gonna be a long season. Um, they look damn good on both sides of the ball. Special teams, you know, it's still still Toledo special teams. Um, if that doesn't become an issue in many games, many important games coming up, uh, I know I, I do cover a team that does really really well in special teams. So if that doesn't become an issue, then um, then yeah, Toledo might end up running away with this uh, this Mac crown this year. But I don't know. Week one really shouldn't be too much of a crystal ball for us, but damn it if we're not impressed with Toledo, and damn it if we don't love Toledo's chances a little bit more from losing by two at Illinois. Justin, I'm following it to you. Uh, where do you want to head to next? Should we go to NIU? Yeah, let's talk about NIU. Um, they did the thing again. That's, I mean, like I don't know, like they like we knew Boston College was gonna be bad. Um. We knew that NIU had a chance here. I think like the spread on this game was something like ten points or something like that. So like I know even if you're not a gambling person, like it that seems weird even if you don't know anything about gambling, right? Um, Boston College was like lucky to force overtime in this game. <clears throat> like we talked about, like Luke, Luke Altmaier making plays for Illinois to get them or keep them and get back into the game. Mm-hmm. Like Boston College had to make some plays in a similar vein much earlier. <laughs> Like this was, I, I don't think there's any, this isn't a fluke is what I'm saying. Like they, NIU went in and just was the better team. Like, I don't know. It's just yeah. like, it's encouraging to see, um, you know, that coming from, you know, just from the, from the conference as a whole that it's like, hey, like there maybe there is like another really, really big NIU Toledo game that we're staring down at <laughs> coming up. Um and maybe that game's gonna like really, really mean something again, where it kind of hasn't in the last few years, um, in the same way that we're used to it. So that's something that has me looking forward to that. But I think um, I don't know if I was like courageous enough to just call the shot on last week's episode, but like this was, I thought 
I was fully confident that Northern Illinois was going to win this game, not just, you know, play well. You don't have to, like, sell me on the idea that NIU might have a better football roster than Boston College. You don't actually have to sell me on that. I know one's in the MAC. I know one's in the ACC. But one's called NIU, and the other has the initials for bad college. Um, yeah, I didn't, you know, and I, I did have this in my, you know, respectfully, no thanks. I'm not going to watch this, uh, category last week. Um, I did watch it for like two seconds, but I didn't like keep my eye on the ball all too much, uh, outside of like, you know, just keeping up with the score. Like you and I were both at, you know, a fr- uh, you know, a friend's like, you know, really lovely event over the weekend. So we weren't watching all the games live on you know, the opening Saturday of college football, boohoo us. Um, but still, we know that NIU held on to the game for a really large chunk. Uh, bad college came back, tied it up, and then Rocky Lombardi, of course, walked it off in the end, as he should, as he always should. He should, al- he should always have the game-winning scores. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. Um, just... I'm just eager for everybody to kind of relearn how important he is to that team. Um, I thought it was super interesting the way he was talking about um, it. It was a really nice, like, I don't know, tongue in cheek's not the way to describe it, but he was like, maybe we should join the ACC because we seem to have more luck there. <laughs> um, they are, if you happen to forget, they are 2 0 against the ACC in the last uh, three seasons. Um, but you know, Georgia tech, Boston college, not exactly juggernauts, but the point remains that, um, you know, while we live in a world, while the haves and have not gap continues to grow, I think it's a fair point to consider that like in any given year, this team like NIU went three and nine last year can just get one piece back and immediately be better than the bottom of a power five conference. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good reminder of like how muddled the lines are between who's good and who's not um, in, in like the world of college football. Like this, the Mac is regarded as like maybe the worst or second worst conference of the, the 10 in college football, the ACC near the bottom of the power five. But I mean, you wouldn't reasonably expect that these teams should in any type of world um, be similar. And like you said, uh, the team with the better roster won. <laughs> And I think that's saying a lot about like Jeff Halfley's squad that like this team in the Mac that again went three and nine last year walks in and it's basically just better than you. I have two games queued up on my, in my tabs right now. Uh, which one do we want to take a stab at? Is it Akron going to temple and losing by three there? Or is it going to be Buffalo going to Wisconsin, getting Fetty whopped um, to start off year three for Mo Linquist? I would like to hear your thoughts on those Buffalo Bulls. Uh, again, didn't like keep my eye on it too much. I'm I'm glad this didn't go more out of hand than it really did. You know, Wisconsin's one of those teams where like if they really wanted to run it up, if they had the opportunities to, I I, I really would like to think that they would. Um, I don't know, man. I let's see. Let's look. Let's look at some of these uh, these numbers over here. Um, third down success rate, 24%. Can't have that. That's awful. Explosive play rate, 3%. 
awful. Can't have that. Defensive run stuff rate, 13%. That doesn't look good at all. Red zone success rate, 33%. That's This does not look like the recipe for a super... This is a really talented Buffalo team, and like I think we're excited for how this roster is going to grow into itself as the season moves on. Like This is a roster that's ever since... Lance Leipold left. It's been piecemealing itself with transfers, 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 transfers. A couple guys have hung on from the high school ranks that were recruited from those. Uh, but it's been super transfer heavy. Um, transfer portal or junior college, whatever the case may be. So it's going to always take time for you know teams like Buffalo to like hit the stride that it wants to. And I'm not sure if we're going to get the clearest picture going up against Wisconsin coaching change or not it, it doesn't really matter Wisconsin's just loaded with dudes loaded with dudes like Buffalo's gonna walk away with bruises that's just gonna be the case um still you'd love to see some efficiency and it's just it's just not really there right now and I would have loved to see more um yeah that's really yeah especially not in the red zone like you called that out um <clears throat> like they were relatively efficient for the entire game Buffalo was, but that's like about the only thing they did well. It was just like being generally efficient. They were not very explosive. They didn't do well in the red zone. Like, like you said, all the things that you the, the recipe that you need to put together to beat a team like Wisconsin, they just didn't have it. Uh, they looked pretty. You know, they they were close in the first half, but I think we just see that like these teams just get kind of worn down. After after giving it all in the first half, I don't know. That's like a super basic like radio guy analysis of it. But like in these Big Ten Mac games, like especially against like Wisconsin, it just kind of seems to work that way. Um, uh, in your opinion, like what are you taking away? Are you taking away more from the the close first half or the kind of you know the Wisconsin dominated second half? Um, hmm. I think the Wisconsin running away with it in the second half, um, mostly because like it really just got away from them in the third quarter, just like just really got away from them. So, um, yeah, I, I think that has more to do with it. I mean, like you're going to have tight first halves. We see those all the time, but like you got to be able to just like know how to work through halftime, through the adjustments and keep the game tight. You know, because like the second half and the first half, those can those tend to look like two different totally looking football games. And so you got to win in the second half or like at least keep your competition tighter through those changes. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think one encouraging thing to take away is that they generated two turnovers. They had two themselves. They lost two fumbles. Um, But I think. Like if you're looking for sort of a barometer of can this Buffalo team capture some of the magical moments that they had last year and then also finish the job, it's probably good to see that they're still turning teams over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you, you have that's it's a it's a very necessary recipe for success. You got to have that. You got to have the other parts too. Right. I mean, it sounds silly to say like yeah, of course, like every team's trying to turn people over, but that was like such a major. I mean, again beat this point home but like the reason we were all kind of ready to crown buffalo last year three weeks into the max season is because they clobbered toledo and they clobbered toledo because they turned toledo over like five or six times 
Um, there's no team in this conference that capitalizes on those turnovers more than Buffalo does. And I think it's just like an important piece of what they do. Going to the other game that we were trying to tee off, uh, Temple 24, Akron 21. Akron had it, and then they didn't. What the heck happened? I, I don't I don't really get it, man. Like, what the heck happened here? Uh, DJ Irons looked good, kind of. Got some other guys going. DJ, uh, DJ not DJ, Lorenzo Lingard uh, had a 77-yard touchdown uh, grabbing there to, you know, help exci- add some early excitement for Akron. And then, uh, I don't know, Temple came back. Don't love that. Don't love that at all, Alex. I was really pulling for the zips in that game. That was another one that the um, the line didn't make sense in the game. I think Temple was a double-digit favorite going into the game. And, like, you know, Temple is pretty bad. Um, and I guess, in a way, so is Akron. Super fun to see Lorenzo Lingard take that first touch to the house. But it was the only pass he caught on the day, so it's not like they were able to go back to it. Um, Akron only ran 57 plays in this game. Even with the clock changes, that is not a lot. Um, and so you're looking for a reason why, like, they, maybe they weren't able to generate a lot in the second half. Is like they just weren't very successful. They were not very efficient. Their success rate for the game was just 35%. Um, they just weren't able to capitalize on explosive plays any further than than um you know the Lingard touchdown it doesn't look like they ran the ball particularly well at all either and like with these clock changes like you can have you know the big plays and like I saw it firsthand at Eastern too where you know you you can have like the big long plays but that like does throw your offense a little bit off rhythm and you need to establish the run and keep the clock moving as much as like we you know, have kind of gotten into a way of like throwing away like the top you know the time of possession stat doesn't really matter with these clock changes like it kind of matters in real time now um so for like a team like akron you know a team like that where like they get the like you know the hurry up and scores you know lingard only had the one touchdown grab that was his only target too you know but like if you get off to any sort of lead and you're a team that should not be winning many games or like is a team that's trying to like win more than it's had you be more conservative more than you ever have like i think that's going to start being a trend when we start like you know when once teams start like looking at all the data of like how these clock changes have affected football i think akron's gonna have to look at this situation they've been like okay we got off to a lead even though it wasn't like a two score it wasn't 21 points or anything like that i think they should have been like you know what we got to figure out how to run the ball with more effectiveness we got to figure out how to get that big play going with our guys blocking with our guys paving ways because that obviously did not happen against temple if they would have been able to you know feed the running backs and let them go for like five yards of carry five yards of carry six yards of carry six yards of carry Akron would have came away with this win by two scores. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look at you, you brought up time of possession. Both of these teams are pretty much equal on that. 
Um, the reason Akron didn't run a lot of plays is they uh, had 12 total drives. And do you care to guess how many of those drives ended in three and outs? Mm, I, I'd rather you just say it. It's half of them. It was six. Ooh. Every other drive practically was a three and out. So you basically get the 77-yard Lorenzo Lingard touchdown. You get a couple touchdown drives that were around eight plays. And then from there, it's basically three and outs and then five, a couple five-play drives. Um, not a great day when you take out the, the, the big chunk touchdown, but I'm still encouraged that Akron can like play these close games. Right. Because I think they're like, they are now entering that phase of like, we should new be team in on these the games. rise. We should be in these tight games. Yeah. They're last year. It was, you're not going to be in these games early. You're going to be in these games late. They were in these games late. They won one of these games, you know, a couple of these games, they probably should have won the Buffalo game last year. And they've kind of picked up right where they left off losing in heartbreaking fashion. <laughs> um, but I think that's an improvement. Like you would rather this team come into a game like this. You'd rather them win when they feel like they deserve to. Right. But they, have come a long way um, because they weren't really doing this in the Tom Arth era, right? I mean, it's like been a while since this kind of game has been expected from Akron. And I think that's a step in the right direction um, without a doubt, no matter how bad it feels to lose a game like that. Uh, I have two games that we should probably mention really quickly. I don't really know how, like how many opinions that we should really have on like Ohio 27, Long Island 10. Long Island, of course, has the best logo in sports. Uh, Miami 38, Miami 3. The The biggest takeaway I only have out of Miami, Miami is that um, Chuck Martin said in his press conference that uh, that Jack Coldiron suffered an injury in that game that's going to su- probably cause him uh, the rest of the year. And that really sucks yeah. because he's an incredibly talented uh, and good tight end. You need those if uh, Miami's offense is going to be uh, of any use this year. So hopefully they have another one waiting in the wings. Um, but Jack Jack Caldiron was a you know a great use for that offense. So it sucks if he can't really finish out the season uh, because you know it's guys like him that make Mac East races super duper fun, and losing him is just that just really stinks. Don't really care about the final scores, considering it's a blowout. Don't really like want to parse that. Really, just want to look into Brett Gabbert and just kind of move on. Um, nope, nothing but, to see here. Yeah, but even then, I'm not even going to air it out on this podcast because it's not even worth it. It's just not worth it. It is too early. But yeah, that Ohio, you know, Curtis Work didn't play. He'll probably play against FAU, um, but we're not there yet. And you know, it's small win with your backup quarterbacks against LIU. I don't know. No opinions to really have there. Still a long season, but any thoughts that you might have on those? I don't. Um, I think we'll move on to the week coming up, but I do want to shout out Jalen Buckley, Western Michigan running back. Got to give some love there. 30 carries for 194 yards. We're not going to mention like any of the Michigan schools. That's awesome. Yeah, we're just like we're, Ball State. we're stepping outside of our, our, our comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, Ball State, like the Miami game, uh, it had some bright spots, but early, but it, it might as well just flush that tape. Um, Kent State. 
Speaking of flushing tape, Bowling Green. We're missing, <laughs> oh, yeah, they we're, we're Bowling, missing half the league here. It's okay. Bowling Green played a uh, a game. Yeah, they played a game. They played a game. They lost by 10. They acquitted themselves well. Um, but we're not talking about Bowling Green. We're talking about my alma mater, of course, beating a uh, FCS playoff team, something I try to remind myself to feel good as this could Mm-hmm. Be one of maybe three wins this, this season. Maybe I was encouraged by Western Michigan's offense. It was the only side of the ball that had any returning starters, but no returning production uh, because all of its returning production was playing on Thursday night, but uh, in a Minnesota uniform. Um, and so Minnesota's leading rusher and leading receiver uh, in Corey Crooms and um, Sean Tyler, obviously playing for Western last season and no longer. It was good to see, you know, 35 points. They scored on most of their drives. They had the one turnover. I wasn't really impressed with how they played through the air, but apparently neither were the coaches because they ran the ball 67 times, I think. Jesus. As a team, Philly Kosh comes in with the air raid. They ran 93 total plays. At no point in that game did it look like Western Michigan couldn't score if it absolutely needed to. And it was very, very good to see that the offensive line, which we expected to be the best unit, um, on this team, like still, they were able to push around an FCS defense, which you would expect it to do. It's not something you would necessarily expect out of a team that um, many thought would win, like only two games or something like that. Uh, SP Plus had this game as like a Western Michigan by four. Um, it was very encouraging to see them kind of outperform those expectations. They had a pretty rocky middle eight. They were not very good at the beginning of the third quarter. They were not very good at the end of the second quarter. Um, but the rest of the game was basically dominated by the Broncos. And that's something that you want to see in an FCS opener um, week one, who knows they have Syracuse next week, but it was encouraging to go to that game feeling like I was about to watch them lose an FCS game for the second time in my life. Um only to come away feeling pretty good. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the middle. Quarterback play for Western Michigan. Uh, thumbs down. Um, it's. I was initially encouraged that um, Salpec was the starter because they bring in the transfer Hayden Wolf. Um, thought Trey Borgay played pretty well to close the year. And so it seems encouraging that the guy who won the job last year wins it this year as well. Um, and think, oh, wow, he must have really improved. He looked about the same. Kid's still a gamer, but he missed on two occasions wide open receivers and elected to throw in the double coverage. And I um, started to have a panic attack imagining what the Iowa defense will do to that. Oh, is this where I talk about Eastern Michigan? Uh, and and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I, I kind of opened up the show saying, like, we, we there's a lot that we're, like, really, really happy with. And we were like, oh, that was kind of a dud. Yeah, that was kind of a dud. Yeah, that was kind of a dud. But Eastern, though, for realsies, does look really good. You know, it didn't stay efficient as hot as it started off with. You know, it was great that they found 16 free points in a safety via punt snap that went over the punter's head in the back of the end zone, followed by Jalen Jackson's 84-yard free kick return, which was eventually followed up by Hamza El-Sayed's 96-yard kick return for a touchdown. Um, you, you don't do that by accident. You don't have as many special team scores in one game, albeit against Howard, who's you know a, a good, respectable 
program. It's a team that's it looked a lot better than the five and six record that um, it hoists from last season. But Eastern special teams is actually like a unit changer, like as much as like a unit that will be a difference maker in many, many games this season. And like that is a a huge like advantage that Eastern has that most teams in America don't. And I'm not saying most teams in America don't have fast guys that are kick returners on both ends and good kickers and good good punters and all that stuff. But the the amount of, you know, how how well EMU just has so much productivity out of those out of those positions year in and year out. And now it looks like it's the best that I've seen since covering this team or like probably ever, you know, since following it in 2010. Yeah. Th- that's, it's especially good. The special teams are Eastern. It's so good that we actually have to talk about it. And they beat Minnesota. I mean, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they can. They yeah, Scott Loeffler beat Minnesota. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's why it's not hard to like really hesitate on that, but like, it's, I don't know, man. It's just going to be really tough to do that. Minnesota does have a really good run defense, and that's going to be like the biggest task that EMU is going to have to face, you know, offensively. Um, if it doesn't get cooking, uh, you know, with the passing game, not to say that I think Austin Smith's bad or has played bad. I actually really like the way that he opened up the season. Uh, whatever his stat line is, I don't remember it offhand. Um, it's definitely better than what the numbers show. I think that there's a lot of opportunities left out there that, you know, other players kind of left them hanging in some situations. But if they get some connections going in the passing game, if they can get, you know, man, just like more breaks in the margins to go their way. Eastern plays well in tight enough situations and is well coached enough to, you know, it, it to have, you know, to come away with like a situation where like yeah it's going to be a tight game in the end and special teams is going to win it they have the kicker to do it they have the punter to you know flip field they have special teams units to great to give the offense you know good field position in in crunch time so yeah I, i absolutely could see it but like the game has to be tight i don't think emu is going to be able to come back if it's down by like two or three scores late. I don't know how, I don't know what my confidence looks like for that. Not a shootout, not a team equipped for a shootout. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't expect there to be a lot of back and forth like that. I don't, I don't know if either team is really, I mean, like Minnesota does, say, Minnesota's I mean, got some players, but like, yeah. Uh, well, you know, at the skill positions, they don't have players that Eastern's not familiar with. Sure. Um, they, I mean, but I okay, know that Daniel defense is not rules thing, but there wasn't much from the Minnesota offense last week that should like strike fear. That was the biggest takeaway I noticed from Eastern side, and I and I definitely thought that too watching it. Um, but I don't think you have to be really impressed with, you know, all that. I don't think it really matters. Um, yeah, I mean, like Eastern's definitely got the recipe to make it happen. I also want to say, like, the defense looks really good. Like, I love, like, the shift that this this defense has taken. 
um, especially with its Leo position, it's it's definitely going to cause some problems. I think Eastern's going to be. It it looks like it should be better against the run with the way that it's designing its defense right now. Well, you've got me sold. I'm nervous that the Mac isn't going to get its perennial uh, Big Ten win, and I I kind of have this game circled as the one, the to one be. to rule them all. Can you believe? Like, if it happens, it would be the fifth Power Five win in seven years for Eastern. Can you believe that? Like I, that, I can, I can believe it. I, I can believe it now. If you told me in 2010, no, way. that this would happen, like I don't think anybody around the program even would believe you. Mm-mm. They'd be like, "Hey, man, we're just trying to go six and six. But they've turned into regular giant killers uh, pretty consistently. I guess, you know, I use that term relatively. <laughs> but... Um, Rutgers! <laughs> still counts. Don't put them in the Big Ten if you don't want the Mac to fly the flag on them. Yeah, the big th- the thing about media markets is that everybody saw it. <laughs> exactly. That's what the Big Ten added Rutgers so we could watch Eastern win in front of the New York market. Hey, the... The Big Ten expansion was about getting a Michigan school on TV. They didn't say which one. Uh, I'm just going to say two stat lines, and this is all we're going to have to say about um, Central Michigan getting wiped by Michigan State. Not a good football team that Michigan State is. Not a good football team. Um, I'm going to say two stats, and there are two passing lines from Central Michigan. Um, Burt Emanuel Jr., Went 11 for 17 for 87 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, your boy, Jace Bauer, 2 of 8 for 9 yards. And so that was the game. That was the game. If this team doesn't figure out how to throw the ball, they're they're toast. They're, they're toast. I was pretty impressed with what they did defensively. Bert Emanuel is shifty as ever. They have to complete passes. Like, I don't know. It just sounds, sounds so dumb, but like, I, it's hard in my head to find like a worse passing performance. Yeah, I don't know if of really late. Like, like, even like the worst that we've seen out of like Akron, I don't think it was this bad. It's week one. The, the early, the Western Michigan teams, the, the John Wasink freshman year getting hurt and giving way to like Reese Goddard teams, those were definitely worth throwing the ball. But even Reese Goddard uncorked like a 23 of 35 on Northern Illinois one year. Like it, I don't see any of that happening here. Like, I don't know what they think they're going to do in that offense if teams just don't think you can complete passes against them. Will they beat Ball State? Ball State, which features Marquez Cooper, who went uh, 15 carries, 33 yards, uh, zero tutties against Kentucky. No real surprise there. I mean, like you were going to get blown out anyways. Uh, Ball State kind of went through three quarterbacks there. Um, It's not looking good for either of those. Good Lord, man. The bottom of the Mac West. Like, God bless you guys. God bless you. Central Ball State. Uh, whenever you guys link up, um, oh my goodness, I have to watch that. I have to watch that for professional reasons. 
Not looking forward to it, though. Are there any games on this week two slate other than the school you cover that you're excited about? Um, goodness. I mean, there's so many, like, Mac versus FCS games. Like, this is the big Mac versus FCS week. I think, like, the game that probably sparks the most, like, most, like, intrigue out of me um western syracuse i'm kind of curious to see how that goes like all right let's let's see let's see what this really is you know not just going up against evil kent state western michigan is you know let's going up against you know an old friend dino babers you know that 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 kind of sparks some joy out of me i like that um i also want to see uh miami massachusetts because you know, Miami thought that it was in a, a Spider-Man game of the week last week. No, no, no. Now Miami's playing against another Spider-Man game. It's another, you know, pointing at each other game with UMass coming up. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's going to be really fun. U- UMass, I saw, um, looking way, way, way down in the bottom in the F-plus rankings this week. Uh, last place they are, so that's really awesome. If you've already looked... Have you have you looked at the SP plus projections for the any of these games this week? Uh honestly, the only one I can remember is the one that I have to follow. So Okay. Did you know that Well, first of all, who's favored in the Miami and UMass game? Oh well that's gotta be Miami, right? By how much? Um, I can see a couple over unders on the ESPN screen. So it's a point. Yeah, it's just one uh, by seven SP points plus. over under a forty four. Yeah. yeah, Southern Illinois is according to SP Plus nearly a five point favorite over Northern Illinois. No, the ACC is Northern Illinois. You know, good lord. When the ACC wanted to expand to all coasts, did they really mean Lake Michigan? <laughs> Bring the Salukis home to the Atlantic Coast, the All Coast Conference. Um, I think all this says about that game is that just Southern Illinois is a really good FCS school, and that um, kind of hammers home the point that like NIU, while still beating a Power Five school, we recognize it, it, it what it is, <laughs> uh, and what type of team they were playing. I don't think Northern Illinois is going to lose this game. I do think they're in for a um, a fight. It's, oh, <laughs> damn it. No, you didn't say it. No, I didn't let say me it. say it. Let I me wasn't going to no, say it. No, I want it. No, damn it. Can I say it? Can I say it? Can I say it? Can you I can't say it? Can I say it? Can I say it? Yeah, go ahead. You can say it. Oh, thank you for throwing me a bone. Because <laughs> they're going to be in a dog fight. I love that you knew that that's why I paused where I, like, I was like, I tried to get the words. Out. I was like, don't, don't fucking say it. No, I said it. Don't worry. That's I what know I got me for. It. I wanted to say but, it. <laughs> yeah. They're in for a dog fight. Um, <laughs> Northern Illinois has like struggled with like in-state FCS schools of late, like even in good years. So it, it's, I, but I don't think that's anything that any like NIU fan is overlooking. Like, I don't think there's anybody in NIU land that's looking at this as like, oh yeah, we're going to, have a a tune-up game here 
before heading off to Nebraska. Like, that's just not what's going to happen. So that game is actually super intriguing to me because I think that, like, you know, again, I'm not beneath um, – it's not beneath me to, um, like, take good things away from playing a tough FCS school because I do think that, again, those muddled lines in college football, the top of the FCS – is not that much different than much of what you're going to see in the Mac anyway. Yeah, so it'd be really funny. It, it would be really funny. It go, it's up there with, um, it's like kind of in reverse order. Like I think the funniest result in college football last year was Bowling Green beating Marshall yeah, was, the I, week after Marshall beat Notre, Notre Dame, Dame and the yep. week after Bowling Green lost at home to Eastern Kentucky. Um, on the Western Michigan Syracuse front, I think... I could already tell you what's going to happen in that game from the Syracuse side. They're going to score 50 points. I'm not saying they're definitely going to win. <laughs> they're going to score 50 points. The It's up to Western uh, and, and that offensive line of whether it's like 50 to 10 or like 50 to 25. I don't think the game's going to be particularly close as most of the WMU Syracuse games are. Western's just not good enough on defense. Like it's They're going to give up a ton of points and it could end up being a long day. So they'll have to decide if they're equipped to win in a shootout, um, which, you know, the the new offense should be well equipped to do that. But, you know, it's game two of a, of a new regime. I take it back. The best game that I didn't say out loud was actually Ohio FAU. Um, yes. Yeah, it should be hot. But, you know, but if Curtis Work is not like 100%, you know, because that's what He's I He's going want. to play. Yeah, according sure. to Tim Elvin, he's going to play and he's under no limitations. That doesn't you mean you're the journalist here. You know that that probably doesn't mean that he's necessarily 100 percent, but he's the guy and healthy enough to go. I mean, we'll see, but like it's it really is just riding on him. Um, but if not, like. Have a day, Bangura, man. Just have a day, Bangura. And if not, CJ Harris, you better pull through, dude. You better pull through. Because, like, we're all watching. We're all watching. And, like, the San Diego State game was just really, really bad. I'm sure he really wants to redeem himself from there. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of mistakes made both ways in some of those throws there. Uh, what was it, like, three interceptions in that game? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just not a good performance out of him there. Would just would be really, really good to see a turnaround happen there, and for the rest of the MAC to say, "Uh oh, now we're seeing the depth out of Ohio. Now we're seeing that things are clicking out of its QB two. Dang it, now we're screwed." You know, that'd be a great like, you know, plot for the rest of the MAC to have, but. It's only up to Harris to, to to prove it, man. Like he's got to he's got to come out and and really do it. Uh, so, I, I we got to be out got to be on the lookout for that. As much as we're looking forward to see Rourke, we have to see improvement out of Harris because he's going to see the field more. Yeah, if not, I mean, hopefully not the rest of this year for like Ohio's sake. Not that he's that that poor, but like Curtis Rourke is just that dude. Oh, but for like, sure. yeah, yeah, in the future, yeah, they'll. This experience could um, turn out being turn out to be invaluable for Ohio going forward. Um, I ask you this next question because um, it's technically action related. Starting this week, Arkansas plays Kent State. Did you see the video of that linebacker hitting KJ Jefferson at full speed and it not mattering? That was so good. 
<laughs> that is one of the funnier football videos that I've seen. This linebacker. And super relatable, by the way. Like if you're ever if if any of you listening are like you know, played football or like any sport growing up mm-hmm. and like came across a D one athlete or even like a D two athlete at any time during your travels, you probably have an experience of trying to like do something to that person with all of your might only to find yourself. We're assuming that people that listen to this <laughs> yeah. podcast are also not D one athlete worthy. That's true. Um, but I, I think one truism in all of life is that unless, is even if you're a D one athlete, there is always some greater, bigger, stronger athlete that you probably have come across where you put everything into whatever it is you were trying to do only to fail. Um, this linebacker from uh, who do you rem- do you remember who the the team was? Uh, was it Western Carolina that they played? Western Carolina, that's right. Um, this linebacker comes on like almost like a delayed pressure, and it's perfect. He has KJ Jefferson dead to rights. He fits him up. He hits him maybe a little bit high. I don't think it matters. No, it doesn't matter. He, him, he still made that, he that hits pinball. Him. Bing. And just he hits him so out. hard that like the crowd audibly reacts to him being hit, like the way you would normally react if a linebacker peeled off the edge clean and hit your quarterback, and then they audibly react to the fact that their quarterback, like a brick wall, just has not moved yeah. while this linebacker fades into oblivion <laughs> and and tries nobly to get back up and, and chase him back down to no avail. The only thing that was like left for him to do, which I don't think he like uh, did, which he should have done, he should have been flagged for not um, for not celebrating enough on the play. But he really, 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 really should have done the Superman celebration. Just tear the shirt open. Like there, there's nothing else to do after that. What was what did it end up being? Just like a like a 13 yard pass. I'm, yeah, depending on where they spotted, I think it was like a. Um on the sideline receiver comes mm-hmm. back to the sticks yeah. it wasn't, so like, it wasn't a deep throw or anything it. it was definitely no just... it was ended up being a, like a very pedestrian outcome mm-hmm. on the play but like e- easily the funniest thing that i saw and i think about poor kent state that like that's going to happen to them this week dude no that's not no what's going to happen is ball state's going to get waxed at georgia like yeah sure Georgia might oh, have right. got played on a little bit by that game by Sean Lewis's offense, which <laughs> Sean Lewis's offense, uh, that's a buzzword these days. Um, but Ball State's gonna is get it ever freaking waxed, man. Like, this is a game that, and I mean this when I say this out loud, should not happen. It should not happen for the reason that, like, this wasn't supposed to happen. This is this is Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC's fault. That's literally what this game is. I forgot that this was the replacement game for that. Yes. Like Mike News connections in Georgia have have netted him this. No, yeah, no. Like Ball State should be playing like East Tennessee State right now. Should not be playing Georgia. That is whack. They already played Kentucky. How is this team ever supposed to get better? We'll find out later. They also have Georgia Southern on the schedule at home, though. Oh, love it. Which I do love. But I, I do, I think, uh, <laughs> to your point, a much better schedule can, if it was Kentucky. And instead of Georgia, East Tennessee State, then home versus Indiana State. 
uh, and then home at Georgia for versus Georgia Southern, and then they start back play. A much more fun season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Georgia is going to go two years in a row where it kind of like gets caught snoozing against a back school. No, yeah, I doubt that's going to happen. Since I said uh, Sean Lewis offense, do we want to like provide any any thought to it um, other than like um, I guess the only thought that I have uh, just because I love tooting my own horn around here is that uh, uh, yeah, I was right. It's an offense that loves running the plays that you get the ball out of your hand in 1.9 seconds. And uh, that was definitely evident. So uh, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't really have like a lot. I I don't know. I don't want to provide a lot of analysis for them other than like, yeah, it was cool. And uh, Travis Hunter kicks ass, man. Travis Hunter's that dude. He played like 150 snaps, both sides of the ball. Fantastic. And since I'm not going to provide analysis, I'm going to say this. He absolutely should play 130 snaps a game every week. Yes. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yes, 100%. Um, the only thing I'll say about Sean Lewis is that, like, he is, you know, he is, like, an offensive, like, uh, maybe genius gets thrown around too much, but, like, full stop, he's an offensive genius, like, one of the brightest minds in the game and a good football coach. Mm-hmm. One thing we don't have to do, though... <laughs> Is like we don't have to pretend that his time at Kent State was something that it wasn't. Like, no, he was not close to being in statue territory. Like, no, it was not like I don't know that he did anything like that I would consider like extraordinary at Kent State. And this sounds like slander, and I'm not trying to slander anything. I just I find some of the narrative around like, oh, the Sean Lewis guy, how come nobody noticed? Oh, if if he can't get a power five head coaching job, what do the rest of these Mac guys have to do? You could start it's by one, winning guys. eight games. It's week one. Relax. Yeah. It's week one. Like, and but and I will say this for Sean Lewis, and this is like, you know, lest I be accused of, of of slandering the man, who I think is a fantastic football coach. He didn't have anything left to prove as an offensive coordinator, guys. If you needed to see what he did at Colorado to understand <clears throat> what was going on here. Like he was the co-offensive coordinator for that 2015 Bowling Green offense. And for my money, he had nothing left to prove from that point on. Like we've talked about that offensive team being like one of the best we've seen in the Mac probably ever. Yeah, that was him. Like, and that's not even in like a like a Mac hipster way to be like, yeah, we knew about this already, but like he didn't have anything left to prove. The reason he's not a power five head coach right now is because his best team at Kent State went 7-7 seven and seven and no-showed the MAC title king. That's why he's not a Power 5 head coach. Because you still have to figure out all the other shit. But when it comes down to just running an offense, yeah. It was very obvious that this was going to be this was going to work for Colorado. Maybe not this fast, but yeah. Yeah, and like he's definitely like had his opportunities before. Like and I'm not going to like I, I it shouldn't be this the ultimate takeaway shouldn't be like oh told you so told you so because like man it's week one and man tcu's yeah. kind of cheeks uh but you know what we knew if, they struggled if, defensively if you give if you give any really good and sean lewis is a really good offensive mind he always has been right um if you give any good offensive mind, Travis Hunter and 
the growing Shadur Sanders, you know, who balled his ass off. Yeah, that's what you get. But if you're stuck in Kent playing in Dick Stadium in front of some thousand people, just some, just some thousand, not, not too many. You know, you don't really progress in life. So, like, he got to a point where, you know, he was going to be entering or was it year seven he was getting himself into? Maybe year six? I can't remember. I think it's year I six. Answer. Yeah, he, he was five seasons, including the COVID year. Like, the, like the jig was up, man. Like, he was not supposed to be, like, the youngest, uh, like, aging Frank Solich. Like, that was never supposed to be the no. case. The, the, the deal was always flash fast like both of those meant meant the same thing but like man was he gonna like bolt out of there like asap uh when the opportunity arose um and he the opportunities probably should have been there he definitely had his uh his interviews to you know to go and lead power five schools or like other g5 schools that were like on the rise but you know obviously nothing nothing happened the way that he wanted to and this opportunity has been perfect for him nothing short of perfect so far still it's just week one there's still a lot to go mm-hmm. he didn't win the super bowl let's wait and i'm sorry let's wait and see if there's like i don't know an upset over washington or usc that happens this year i don't know what their schedule looks like but man exciting start happy for him pump the brakes a little bit but do keep them going do keep things going man like it's really really exciting this this colorado offense right now it's really exciting i am totally on board with like whatever sean lewis propaganda needs to happen but i stop where i draw the line is like we don't have to like retcon the kent state years i'd be curious to hear from kent state fans on it it's like i don't know go ahead and tweet at us if, if you're a kent state fan listening like I know that I would probably find it like a little bit insulting as a Kent State fan if I had people like talking about Sean Lewis like he was in statue territory. It'd be like, okay, like, didn't win. Thank you, thank you for the division title. Terry Bowden won one too. Went seven and seven, right? Like in the same division and in a similar time frame. Like I, I guess it was five years apart, so it's not necessarily similar in college football years. That's an eternity, but like. In the MAC, every school except Eastern has won a division title in the last like 10 seasons. So it, it's not like, you know, like how we, we talk a lot about like how much weight we put on a division title. Uh, hello, Jim McElwain. Um, like, and like what that's supposed to carry. And I don't know that like a Power 580 would should feel bad about like not hiring Sean Lewis. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, what the reverence is for him, like, from the Kent State side, where it's like, yeah, he was a really good coach. He was the best coach they've had in a long time. Like, he might, he could be their, like, most consistent head coach ever. Like, we don't know how the Daryl Hazel years would have played out if he didn't go to Purdue, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't want to overlook the fact that, like, Kent State was, like, what, an overtime period from an Orange Bowl? Mm-hmm not long before Sean Lewis took over that program. So I, I, it seems to be like, again, I know like college football moves quickly and things change so, so fast, but like, it's not like there were heights that Kent state had never reached before that he, that he took. I mean, I guess like consistency. Yeah, sure. 
and that's not to say he did a bad job at Kent State. Like, I hate doing that thing, but I just, like, I don't like seeing all of this just, like, oh, where'd this guy come from? Like, And it's not cool to, like, Kent State's years of Sean Lewis shouldn't be defined by what job did Sean Lewis go to immediately after, after that. Like, that's right not the best way of like really reading the whole situation and it's really unfair of like a way to just interpret college football really because it it's not it, it, the world does not work like that it's not no. that linear and the mac loves the cradle of coaches thing and people who watch the mac love to like bring it up but i i don't i don't particularly like that that becomes sort of like the defining identity of the conference like like to your exact point, like these schools are not defined by what the people who did well there do after. Right. Like, like Western Michigan went to a cotton bowl and you can't take that away from them. Even if PJ was a terrible coach at Minnesota, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it never should have mattered. Um, I guess I don't really care if coaches see these jobs as like springboards or anything like that. I think the reason you're not seeing a lot of Mac head coaches go to the power five is because the most recent hiring cycle wasn't very good. Like Chuck Martin is still coaching at Miami because Chuck Martin hasn't done enough work to like be with beyond all doubt, a guy who should coach at the power five level or like even the AAC level. Right. Like Thomas Hammock has a Mac title, but is he a guy that people are lining up to hire? Tim Lester never had only had one losing season. He got fired from his job at Western. Is Jim McElwain going to coach in the Power Five again? I don't know. Like, if and besides, if you want an example of a guy who might be being structurally held back by the conference, it's Jason Candle. Mm -hmm. He has two like Mac the, titles. Like who's getting held back the most? It's absolutely him. Yeah, right. And like, and I think we have talked, and like, even when we have Caleb on here too like Caleb agrees as well like those are all there's all like legitimate concerns about like Jason Candle teams we just talked about them blowing yet another game that they should have won right how often does this happen like there are good and valid reasons why like he wasn't the next head coach at UCF or whatever right um but I think it's you know I don't think it's a bad thing that like Jason Candle was considered to be the offensive coordinator at Miami like I don't think it says much about these jobs. I think it's just that like there's a different these guys are just some of these guys just didn't do a very good job. I don't know. Or like relatively speaking. But I do think like Jason Candle is that guy. Like Sean Lewis is not the guy you want to look at as like, wow, what do the other guys have to do? Just Jason Candle's won a ton of football games. Mm -hmm. Don't know what else the guy has to do. Well, he has right? to beat Illinois. He has to be. He has to go to New York Six Bowl. The bar for Jason Candle is higher than uh, it ever was for Matt Campbell. And that's saying something. Isn't that kind of funny though? Like Jason Candle won the Mac twice, and I think the funniest thing about like watching Matt Campbell always like show up on like like NIU fans love to remind everybody of this. When Matt Campbell's name pops up for like big time jobs, they go like, "You're really going to hire a guy who couldn't win the Mac at Toledo." <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy that's done it twice recently and very likely could do it a third time. Everyone's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, no, this third time, is, like, it might be, I don't know, maybe it's too early to say it's the best of, like, the Mac champions. Because, like, it's, it, yeah, it's actually way too early. We're gonna, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. 
Jason Candle's young enough that like he could win 10 Mac titles. I wonder if he like I wonder if some part of him just goes, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> I'm going to win so many Mac titles. And I'm gonna hate and every just second never, of my job. Ever, ever take any of those jobs. Are there any other thoughts that we need to share before we close this thing out, Justin? Um our NMAC school is gonna lose to an FCS school this week. Who is? Is uh, do you think any of them will? Do I think any of them will? Yes, yes. I think it's just gonna like I think by sheer volume. I just think there's too many. Um, I'm not. If I'm if I have to put my chips on one game, that's a bad pun because I'm going with New Hampshire Central Michigan. New Hampshire. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, New Hampshire uh, went to – did they go to the playoff last year? I think they went to the FCS playoff last year. Uh, good luck, Central Michigan. Yeah, that sounds right. And boom goes the dynamite.